Whoa, I'm going to start this episode off with an apology. I owe all of you guys an apology. It's been a couple weeks since I've gotten an episode out. And I can really just chalk it up to, I guess if i got to be honest, kind of, uh, I was going to say lazy, but maybe that's not the right word because I'm not lazy. I can be lazy, but uh, I've really just been struggling lately, really. Uh, mentally, emotionally, and I can't even really pinpoint why. I just got, who knows? Who knows? The the body's weird. The mind is even weirder. And I've just been struggling. Uh, real talk. That's what it is. But, um, so I'm sorry, you guys, for not getting the episodes out. I've got like five or six that are loaded up, ready to go. Not that are ready to kind of go, but I got to kind of do a little bit of editing and I got to do these intros and it's just, it's just been a struggle for me lately. That's all I can say about it. I don't know. You guys tune in to this cause hopefully you enjoy the show cause I'm honest and real with everybody. And that's, that's it, man. And ladies, man and woman. Um, but let's get this started on a good note. I apologize. Uh, and I apologize to my guest, uh, Thomas. This was such a good interview, a good time. And um, it's different for me. He's a neuroscientist. Is that the right word? I'm so stupid. I don't even know. But he's an expert with ADD and ADHD. And he wrote an amazing book. It's called When Living and Learning Hurt. And I've read some of it. You'll hear me talk about it in here. I highly suggest this book if you have ADD or ADHD or if someone important in your life has it or struggles with it, it's really going to help you learn kind of how to, how to deal with someone like that, or how to deal with yourself if you have, have, have that ailment. And, uh, it's a good book. I've only read some of it. I'm still, I've actually loaned it out to someone that's really enjoying it. And, um, this was a good, good time. And it was, it's different for me because, you know, sometimes I just have, sometimes I have comics and rappers artists, chefs, people that are kind of easy to talk to and flow with. And not that Thomas wasn't because he really was. This was a good time. But in my wheelhouse, I don't talk to like crazy smart people too often. And it's nice to do to kind of see if I can interview that kind of person. And I feel like I can. Um, I don't know. You guys can be the judge of that after this. But welcome back, everybody. My name is Ryan Westa. This is Neander Talk Podcast, and this is episode 190. Wow. Four plus years, I should have a degree. I could have a podcast degree, baby. Um, Thank you guys, everybody, for listening and supporting. I really appreciate everybody who does listen and download and tells friends and shares my stories on Instagram and all that stuff at Neander Talk Pod. And if you would like to support me with your hard-earned kizash, you can head on over to patreon.com slash neandertalkpodcast. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can help a brother out. And uh, without any further ado, this was uh, episode 190. Enjoy it. You can find his uh, information all over the place in this episode. And uh, I really hope you guys enjoy this one and maybe get something beneficial out of it other than just entertaining for a couple hours or an hour, however long this went. But uh, maybe it'll actually inspire you to go check his book out and maybe it can help you or a loved one out. I really hope it does. And 
Enjoy this episode, everybody. I love you all. Welcome to the Inner Talk Podcast. We'll know topic is off limits. Now here's your host, my daddy, and Voida Soul. Thank you for coming to the Inner po- Podcast. Boom, talk, boom. In three, two, one. Welcome, Thomas. Welcome to Neander Talk Podcast. I'm Ryan Westa. You brought me a book. I did. What's the name of your book? It's called When Living and Learning Hurt and Making Now Better So Later's Easier. Well, that's what we could all, we all struggle with making, you know, now, I struggle with things, doing things now to make, oh yeah, don't go upstairs. My house is a mess right now. That's all right. I've been procrastinating, getting it cleaned. I'm like, and I know if I just, I know if I just clean it up there, I'll feel better because it always mm-hmm. feels better just when everything's clean. Mm-hmm. So I, I keep down here my studio nice and clean. Yes. I got to do it for you guys. But, but if this, I got... <laughs> this is not indicative of anything that's up there. Is that what you're telling me? Exactly. Yeah. This was like a crash session I did 20 minutes before you got here. Quick Good. sweep, move some things around. Nice, nice. Uh, so basically it's uh, an ADD, ADD, ADHD. Well, it, it's, uh, it's but, directed a lot toward that population. But I think that we all, at some different ports of our life, have ADHD tendencies, whether it's procrastination, whether it's impulsivity, whether it's uh, delayed gratification, all sorts of things. I mean, everyone, I think, could probably, if you did an ADHD, uh, what do you say, sort of little test, I think we all have little bits of it at times. Okay. Some just more than others, which cause a lot of impairments, but for the most part. Okay. I've... I've- you know, growing up, I'm 42, so, you know, I was growing up in the, the 90s, mm-hmm. and a lot of there was a lot of, it wasn't quite, I don't think, in society, it wasn't fully diagnosed, I don't think a lot of people were aware of it, and I think when it when people would talk about it, it was kind of as a joke, like, oh, he's got so much energy, he must have ADD or something like that, mm-hmm. and I don't think it was, am I wrong to, to think that it's kind of been more no, into, I think I think you're very right, I think in my day that there wasn't such a diagnosis. In fact, they called it minimal brain disorder. Whoa. For for my kind of, my age, my population. How disrespectful. Absolutely. I'd much (laughs) rather be ADHD than minimal in any way. So a lot of times that would, they would just be targeted or tagged as oppositional, defiant, or uh, bad attitude, wayward, whatever, when really just, a lot of these kids have a few little brain glitches that kept them from being able to focus and concentrate. But you you uh, temper that or sprinkle family dysfunction and uh, other emotional frustrations on top of that. It's really hard to <laughs> stay on track. Or, oh, my God, you're freaking me out. Yeah, happens. <laughs> all, right, what, all right, so then going from that, I, I don't really know exactly – uh, maybe the definition or how you would explain what exactly it is. You know, I think, oh, hyper. Oh, uh, I have a son. He's nine. Mm-hmm. He can be hyper. I sometimes think maybe, especially after reading one of your chapters today, I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's 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 my little man. Yeah, but I think that if we do it right and approach it right, I think some of the ADHD tendencies we have are some of our best best attributes. I don't think it needs to be medicated away or suppressed or being handed blueprint saying, be as I need you to be, don't be as you are, which is what happened a lot with my population growing up. And then as you talked about in the 90s or whatever years, you're talking about how this started coming about, 
if there'd be a little bit of distractibility, a little bit of impulsivity, if, you know, young Chauncey wasn't, you know, keeping, keeping, uh, uh, even with the pack, a lot of times they said he needs medicine mm -hmm. and this, that, and there's a whole population though. I'm not against medicine. And I know there's some cases that's worked quite well, but I usually don't see that population in my office. I see it oftentimes, sometimes where it's backfired and this kid's lost access to his instinctual date and his emotional world, but he can tether a state to a capital and understand plankton. Uh -huh. But that doesn't do much good for if you're trying to have a conversation at the lunch table with people and trying to be present. And I think that a lot of times that a lot of practitioners have taken the easy way out. And medicine is great. It has a wonderful honeymoon period for the first three or four months. But you also withdraw from it. And what's coming out of your system at five o'clock or whenever, they start to get an attitude and they start to feel very uncomfortable. And then they get in, un, then they get in trouble for uh, having their brain yang back after, after it's been yinged all day. Mm -hmm. And they get in trouble sometimes just because the emotions that were all suppressed start to come out and they start to oh. understand that their brain has been choreographed, produced and directed by wow. a pharmaceutical. Uh, that opens up so many cans of worms going down that path. All right, before we go though, what is like explain ADAD or ADD and ADHD? Like kind of give me like mm -hmm. a definition, like what exactly? ADD, it means there's less hyperactivity. They can, they can be present, but they might not be tuned in if that makes sense they don't oh, yeah. they aren't disruptive they're not on their chairs they're not spinning and such and they uh they will they will finish tests but they will make uh more mistakes where an adhd kid might f not finish the test but he'd be more accurate on some of the stuff when it comes just to sort of an academic thing but add is where you're carbonated where you have that overflow of energy, where you're very distractible. And I used to tell the story when I was growing up, I'd be sitting in a class being ADHD myself, and the teacher would say, okay, today we're going to, and I'd look at some guy tapping his foot. And I'd look at that foot and he'd be tapping it. And then he'd stop it and tap the other one. And I'd go, whoa, he's <laughs> then he'd start tapping both. And so I'd be all off into that and <laughs> someone would be leaning in their chair and I would look at that breaking point if they go a little further or I'd look at some girl's French braid and think, how on earth do they do that? And right after I was at that moment, I'd hear the teacher say, does everybody understand what we're going to do? And I'm like, whoa, I didn't hear any of it, you know, because I was too busy sort of being distracted or, you know, finding things a lot more interesting than what was ever you know, being told or taught. So I just look and see what someone else was doing, you know, and pull that book out or start writing on this or that. But would that happen in any kind of scenario you're set in, or or is it just because you're, you know, you're in a chair in school all day, bored out of your mind? Yeah, more captive. Yeah, I think that yeah, I, I I could pay attention and hyper focus on things that were fascinating to me that I was interested in, and I was always had a terrible time in math. Uh, but I, my friends and my family have pointed out that I could recite every number on the back of a baseball card, wow. you know, and figure averages and earned run averages, but I couldn't do fractions. And, you know, that fractions are the things that are going to take you to the, the zenith of life, <laughs> but it didn't happen for me. Uh, yeah, math was never. Yeah, it was tough. 
it's still tough. Mm-hmm. Now I just yell at my phone, say, "Hey, hey, yeah. Siri." Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have uh, a brother as well, and when he we were in high school, they thought maybe he had ADD, and they'd put him on some pills for a little bit. Ritalin, it was back Ooh, in the day. Powerful stuff. Did yeah. it help him? What'd you notice? Um, you know, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention. It seemed like it didn't really do a whole lot for him. I think he was only on it for a little bit, and then they took him off of it. I remember taking it once just, you know, to experiment with it. I don't know. Right, I right. was a bit of a wild kid. I was yeah. like, all right, let's try it. Yeah. And I tried it at school, and it was like uh, recess or lunch, and we're playing basketball, and mm-hmm. I had energy like mm-hmm. insane. I was flying up and down that court. I felt like I could fly. I was like, oh, my gosh, what is this? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because usually with if you have an ADHD – uh, brain chemistry and mindset and body wiring, so to speak, and brain wiring, it would have the opposite effect on that. Right. Yeah, I remember. So uh, I don't have it. I self-diagnosed myself with not having it because I took that pill and it made me wild. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> and uh, you, you don't want a lot of stuff suppressed. Yeah. You want to be able to have access to those places. And I always say ADHD, it's not really bad, but it causes and can create a lot of havoc with parenting and school, which is 85% of your young life growing up. Mm-hmm. So if you don't match those blueprints very easily, then you're going to be, you get a little more attention than you want in different ways. Do you have, like, I, I read chapter 20 because uh, it had to do with like time management. Mm. And that is something that I wouldn't say I necessarily struggle with, but I, um, because I'm always I'm always early. I try to be if I'm not five minutes early, I'm late mm-hmm. kind of guy. Um, but when I was reading reading through that chapter, uh, I noticed a lot. I have you know, like I said my my nine year old, uh, the same situation you're talking about with shoes. Get your shoes. You got to get your shoes yeah. on. Let's go. Let's go. And then you you leave for a couple moments and you come back and he's still fixated on something. He's like, yo, dude. Sure. I told you to put your shoes on. I, I, I do the same thing with him. And I was reading some of the stuff in chapter 20, and I'm not diagnosing my kid yet. Hmm. But I'm like, whoa, this is a lot lot like him. Sure. And it really opened my eyes. And I was like, I can't wait. I couldn't wait to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I realized real quick that I'm going to really like this book and get a lot from it, I think. And I also realized it's this seems like a book, at least for me, I'm going to have to read more than once. Because I, I read... Chapter 20, I was like, okay, that was a lot of information to, mm-hmm. yeah, like, I'm going to have to read it again, maybe take notes, nah. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's, 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 I like it. And I liked how you have it, uh, uh, what's the word? I don't know, create it. You made it to where you can skip to kind of any. Sure. I can read any chapter I want. It's going to be fine. You don't have mm-hmm. to read it. Uh, well, you talk about order. that, you know, having to read it more than once, you know, a lot of times, that memory is such an important part of everything, mm-hmm. what you remember. And I remember in college, this friend and I were studying for this test my freshman year. I don't know if this is in here, but uh, I had a poor showing on the first test, and he had an A, so he and I were going to study. So we studied and studied, and we went. I went in and took the test. It was a class called Theory of Communication, which didn't seem too hard when you think of the title. And... I was all prepared, and I did great, and I was one of the first ones done. I was out of there, and we got the test back. He got an A. I got a D. <laughs> and I got a D because, and I'm maybe it was a D. Maybe it was worse, but I'm saying <laughs> D just for, you know, my own sanity. But uh, 
it was because I didn't make long answers. I just put a few words. I didn't explain things. I just wanted to get it done. And I just sort of remembered it in such a way that I could tether a thought to that question or an answer to that question. And I said to him, I said, how could this happen? You studied, I studied, you saw me study. And he goes, yeah, I don't know what happened. He goes, you read the chapters, didn't you? And I said, well, yeah, of course I read the chapters. He goes, how many times? I said, huh? Ha. He goes, how many times did you read the chapters? Mm-hmm. I said, what do you mean? I read them once. He goes, I read them three times. The second time, the first time I underlined everything. The second time I took everything out, I underlined. And then the third time I scanned over it and then studied from my notes that I took out that I underlined. I thought, you're kidding. You know, and I realized that a lot of people that do, and do and were doing better than me, would be, they were putting in a lot more time. Mm-hmm. I always say that I learned better than I remembered. I could sometimes get the stuff in, but I couldn't uh, get it out. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was in there, it was another tethered to anything. But uh, you talk about, the, you mentioned sort of memory, being able to remember stuff and time and things. I think there's kind of an important thing when it comes to memory that we have to understand with this population. There's three sort of uh, stages of memory. There's uh, short-term memory, and, you know, it's small and it's compressed and whatever whatever doesn't get it in very far will leak out readily. Mm-hmm. And then there's active working memory, which is the tabletop or the uh, easel of whatever you brought from short-term memory to place on that workspace. And then there's long-term memory, which is huge real estate. And you can go up into long-term memory and see if anything that you have on the easel is triggered and bring it to your active working memory and start what you need to start, move through what you've been, what you started, and then finish what you've been moving through, Mm -hmm. which might sound like a whole long evolution of thought. But a lot of kids do that in just a second or two where ADHD kids and ADD kids takes a long time to sometimes get that things going. But the most important thing about what I'm going to tell you about the active working memory in the middle, the there's a there's a physical at aspect to the way you feel when it comes to the brain. If you're anxious, if you're nervous, if you're sad, if you're depressed, if this and that, the smaller your active working memory gets, the smaller the workspace, the smaller the easel, the better you feel, the bigger the workspace. A phys, actually physical space in in your mind. Wow. And I'm telling you, a lot of these kids, very brain, a lot of these kids are operating from a perpetual come from behind position and where they're uh, they're working very hard to try and appear that they know what's going on and they know what's being said, this and that. When you're, I think I spent a lot of times inside scrambling, you know, what, what they say, what are we supposed to do? And I remember writing or we'd be taking a test and the, everyone would be writing on the test except me. And I'd look around and sometimes I pretend, I would pretend I was writing just so I didn't look dumb. Right. But it's not that I didn't understand the stuff. It's that I, really never got it to active working memory and consolidated it enough to move it to long-term memory where I could, you know, something new triggered, I could pull it, pull it back. And then there was a lot of family dysfunction and frustrations and things that I had to deal with, which, which, uh, uh, lessened the space, lessened the real estate in my active working memory. So the better you feel about yourself, obviously the more you'll show, but the better you feel about yourself, the bigger the workspace in your brain to be able to toss and turn and flip and flop things over to be able to understand them, wow. and see them and think about them from other perspectives. It makes total sense. Um, you know, I've, I've 
battled with a, a little bit of depression here and there and a little bit of anxiety at times and uh, I've done pretty good with it and I, and I try to do you know I deal with it medically exercise works great or medically without uh, without medicine like yeah. exercise works great for me yes. and just try to keep a positive mindset mm-hmm. um, but like what are different ways to kind of open up that real estate like if you're struggling because you know when I get in those like depression is you do it does feel like you don't want to think about anything else well it's can, not you don't want to sometimes you can't yeah because you get in that loop it's almost you know just running laps in your head over and over mm-hmm. you mentioned the exercise thing that's a very important there's a chapter in that group i mean the book i hope you look at is a group i facilitated for 13 straight years called running relaxation and support yeah where i was able to you know everyone's doing mindful stuff now I was doing this mindful stuff, you know, 20-something years ago before it was hip to be mindful. And I'd get a group of kids in twice a week uh, for eight-week sessions, and we did it for 13 straight years. And we'd exercise. I mean, we'd go in the gym and play. We'd go in the group room, sit in a circle, and talk about what's good and what sucks. And then uh-huh. we'd do a relaxation, a meditation thing. And then after that, we'd go run. So you talk about the exercise. That's like a meditation and medication, mm-hmm. I think, at the same time. And a, a fatigued muscle is a relaxed muscle. So I think it's very important to be able to, you know, to move and do all that uh, stuff that literally changes your brain chemistry and body. So yeah, that was uh, the fact that you do it. That's great. Yeah, I, run, in fact, running is the thing that really got me to pull out of my. Like I had what they, I guess what they call situational depression. Mm-hmm. It was like right after I got divorced and I got two kids and like I wanted the divorce, but it, I didn't expect all that extra mm-hmm. baggage and emotions and stuff to oh, kind of come with it. I just, you know, this is what I want. This is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you just get these unexpected like emotional things that hit you like a Mack truck. Well, the silence can be awful loud when you're, the kids aren't there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, there's some stuff in there about that. I'm a divorced dad. Oh, okay. Also, and I actually facilitated a group and started it years ago called Kansas City Center for Divorced Dads, nice. which was to help, you know, men and women and families kind of develop a spirit of cooperation. It wasn't a men's militia movement to, you know, grill a bitch. It was the idea was. Damn, I want that br- group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The idea was to bring about uh, the opportunity to, to cooperate and. I always say you don't necessarily have the choice of whether you can be a good husband or wife based on the other person's, you know, proclivities and such. But you always have the opportunity to be a good father or mother. Right. And that was the most important thing in my life and that I wanted to pass on and teach men to do. Is that kind of what this book has a lot to do with is kind of help help parents with? uh... It's for it's for individuals with ADHD. It's for teachers that struggle with that population. It's for therapists who have been trying one way that hadn't worked, and it, I have found ways that work. And I always say I don't want to be a fact finder or a pill dispenser, but I want to be a feeling releaser. And a lot of the approaches to ADHD for years has been less about feelings, more about medication, more about cognitive therapy where you just change your thinking that everything's going to be fine, or behavioral therapy where you just change your behavior and you'll live a much more, you know, festive life. Right. But if you, and they, com, they combine it as cognitive behavioral therapy. But what they do is they leave out the emotional component, the feeling part. And I think that that's really the part I've, I think, have found uh, to be the most important part. And I use this analogy, I think, when you just do the cognitive or the behavioral, 
sometimes that approach with an ADHD kid is like wallpapering in a steam room. It doesn't stick, but they'll remember the feelings or remember what you made them feel. And Maya Angelou uses that great quote that people won't, won't necessarily remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And I also say never go to a therapist that never went to a therapist. And I saw a guy when I was 16, same guy at 19, same guy at 21, 26, 29, 31, 38, 40, and then he retired. But he's the one that made me want to go in the field because he could have medicated me. He was a psychiatrist, but he, he didn't. He understood that a lot of the things that were going on inside of me, they weren't because I was depressed or angry or oppositional or this and that. It was because I had a different way and a different perspective of you know, of looking at things, which is was pretty unique back then, but it didn't match the blueprints of the school or society. And he figured it out. You know, he was very loving, very kind, very. Nice. In fact, I, I came from a family that's not not many people are huggers in there and this and that. I was always a hugger. And I remember after one particular session, you know, it was really sad and a lot of feelings were coming out, which was really good at lancing those places inside me. He said, can I hug you? And I just fell in his arms crying because mm -hmm. no one hugs in my family. Mm -hmm. So in the later on and, uh, you know, sessions after that, I'd come in and before we'd start our session, I'd go, I'd open my <laughs> arms so I could get a hug nice. before we even started. It was, he was wonderful. And he's what made me write, you know, go into this field and is in the acknowledgement, he's the first one I acknowledge. And I don't know where he is. I've been trying to find him. Are you an investigator? You can come up I've with I've got case. Google. Yeah, we do. We tried. We tried. <laughs> Facebook and Google is about as the extent of my investigating skills. Mm -hmm. um, so he was the one that kind of got you leaded to this path. He wanted, yeah. He what he helped me feel and what helped me release and what he helped me develop what I call a language of comfort. And I would and a lot of ADD kids do this. A lot of people do it anyway, but maybe more magnified. We compare our insides to other people's outsides. And I came from kind of an inner... The inside of how we're feeling yeah. with outside people, how they're showing their feelings exactly, outside. Exactly, okay. what they look like. Because, you know, a lot of ADD and ADHD are not real good actors or actresses. Okay. You know, I mean, if I'm sitting out on the driveway and the Smiths would walk by and they say, Hi, Tom, how are you? I'd say, fine. But what you couldn't say, well, dad's drunk, mom's pissed, the house is the mess, brother's beating me up, cat crapped, you know, all over, whatever. You just don't say that stuff. Right. What you say is, fine, thank you. Yeah. A lot of those kids can say, fine, thank you, but they'll be all contorted and constricted. And you can see they're oh, not wow. fine. Or other people can pull it off and, you know, kind of play that when-then game. When things are a certain way, then I'll be able to, you know, be a little more present. But a lot of those ADHDers, they, they bleed out loud. And that's really difficult to watch and to feel. But that's one reason I went into the field, so I could help, you know, humans feel better and be able to shift on the inside and, you know, do what I call emotional renovation, be able to work on the inside. So was it just a, a great experience or, or a life-changing experience to finally talk to somebody that kind of knew what you were struggling with and kind of get you through that? And is that what kind of... Well, yeah, uh, I don't even know if during the time he and I were working, we really talked a lot about ADHD because this was from the mid-70s to maybe the very early 90s, and that's just when it was all coming out about the ADHD personality and, you know, everyone was an expert and everyone was tossing pills around. And uh, so it, it just opened me up to a whole different way to look at 
I mean, I, I think what he helped me do was turn vision back on myself and to see how I sat and how I was acting and how I felt. And it's very easy to sort of detach and, you know, pretend, so mm -hmm. to speak. Uh, but he didn't let me do that in the therapy. And uh, that was wonderful. You know, I could just be myself, be as mad or sad as I really was about whatever I was mad or sad about, which allowed me to begin to complete the past. And that past could have been earlier this mo that morning or, you know, however far back. But that's what I've learned to do with people. And as I said, I don't want to be a fact finder, a pill dispenser, but a feeling releaser. And I want to get the feelings moving because that's the best part of us anyway. The feelings are? I think so. Yeah. Feelings are messy. Could be. Feelings are a, a great part if you know how to control them. Well, you know, that's what hurts you the most instructs you the most. And a lot of hurt, a lot of feelings are packed in a lot of that hurt. Mm -hmm. So you got to, you got to get rid of, I mean, you got to open it up. It's almost like you have to ask yourself, what do I need that I didn't get? And what did I get that I didn't need? And that starts moving things around a little inside and then figure out what's going now and how that's kind of been sort of transposed upon present day. I mean, what seems like one darn thing after another can usually be the same darn thing over and over again. Yeah. At a different time, different place, different person. And you got to ask yourself, is it working? Am I having a blast? This is who I really am. Right. You know, so I think that's, you know, that takes a lot of work. But that's the heavy lifting you have to do as a human being. But a good therapist is willing to do that with you. Yeah. So uh, you got to find someone that's going to help well, help you well, lift these heavy things. Yeah. And I tested another therapist before. I found that, well, my parents, they were tossing me in these therapy things because I was a bit wayward, as they say. And uh, the first one was awful. Lucky you had parents back then that would even think about sending their 16-year-old their to a therapist. Yes, absolutely. I thought that was very, very good. It would have been nice if they would have chosen to do some for themselves oh. also, but it was kind of fixed Tom. And I was kind of, the I think, the receptacle of all of what went in was going around in the family. I mean, I was one that carried a lot of it in the feelings and was very emotional where my other brother, older brother kind of kept it in and my younger brother was just young and cute, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I felt a lot of that stuff a lot deeper. So, uh, and I struggled in school, you know, it's, uh, and, and I like to tell the story that my high school counselor told me I wasn't college material, so I better learn to rent a cash register. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I knew <laughs> I, I knew I was going to college because that's what you do after high school. Right. It's like what you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, or you graduate from high school, you go to college. Yeah. And so, uh, and I had a, some pretty high bars to compare myself to. Or, or my grandfather taught medicine at KU Medical Center for 40, 50 years. He was a head cardiologist over there. And, Jeez. you know, uh, He's also the one that told me that if you don't learn fractions, you'll never amount to anything. <laughs> and I never learned fractions. And then my dad was editor of the Star and very, very quality writer. His page won a Pulitzer at one point down there. Wow. And so, and he was wonderful. And then my older brother, a year older me, older than me, was a fellowship of Christian athlete, straight A state champion in the mile, <clears throat> and all American. Then there was me, and I was a good runner. I used to race and such, but I wasn't a state champion. And I sure the hell wasn't going to be the head of a medical school. And I knew that I wasn't going to be head of a newspaper. Black so. sheep. Well, yeah, there's probably that tendency to say that. Yeah, but I had more fun and more friends and, you know, uh, <laughs> got along a lot better in the world. Yeah, what so. do you say to those people? Because I, I, I see that, too, because you know, I'm not extremely successful by any means. And I do see some of these other people that have really just, like, 
I don't know. I guess there's kind of a saying like you either retire in your 20s or you retire in your 60s. And I just see these people that didn't have any kind of fun. They weren't living their life. Oh, yeah. And and they're still kind of, I don't know, it doesn't look like they're just having fun in life, but mm-hmm. they're quote unquote successful. Mm. Well, it depends on what you call success. I mean, you can surround yourself sure. with things can, <clears throat> that can be repossessed, stolen, or burnt. Yeah. But, you know, I think it. This, the good memories we create, I think, that make us successful. And I always like the quote that the good memories you create now will be the soft cushions you sit on in old age. Yeah. So yeah. you got to start creating them now. And that's how I, that's, yeah, that was kind of my motto for a yeah, long time. And yeah. That's kind that's, of, yeah. Skipped yeah. out on college for a little bit and just mm-hmm. like, I'm having fun, man. I'm going to remember these years. I don't want to look back and be like, oh, I wish I would have done this. Yeah. I well, wish, so, yeah. Yeah. We could have always could. But like, then now I'm like, oh, maybe if I would have stuck to it, I'd, you know. Yeah, things would be every anything could change the direct trajectory yeah. of anything. Uh-huh. So I understand. So just have fun, eat, drink, uh, and be merry. Yeah? I think that's very important. Yeah, <laughs> be here now and have a blast and work hard on having not having not having many regrets. Yeah, you know, and sometimes, like I said, in order to do that, you have to clean out, you know, that extra weight. I, I use the analogy uh, about weight sometimes. Like I could ask you, how much do you weigh? You can give me a number, just anything. 182. Okay. That weighs your body weight, water weight, and tissue weight, right? So what if I put you on a scale that weighed your body weight, water weight, tissue weight, sadness, anger, frustration, senses of betrayal, depression, anxiety, loneliness, joy, peace, you know, harmony, whatever. I don't think it'd be 212, you know, it's usually a lot more. You don't have a scale big enough. Well, that's what I find with most people. And I, I tell them that's the weight I want them to lose is that stuff we're lugging around and because your body eventually presents its bill <sighs> yeah. for all that stuff we carry. And yeah, there's been a few times in my life. Um, I, I was, you know, I work at the post office and I was working there quote unquote, it's called part-time. I'm not full-time, but I'm working full-time hours and I'm about to have a baby and I'm about to go what they call full-time and get all those benefits. And I was just waiting and waiting cause I really needed it. And the day I went full time it was this i mean it literally felt a huge weight off my shoulders like i've never felt before it's like oh i've heard that expression before but mm-hmm. i didn't like i physically felt it mm. yeah it's uh yes yeah, so feelings and thoughts they get embodied which means embodied mm-hmm. you know and like i say we we see things and feel things and remember things literally on a cellular level but i mean People want to change the brain and change the mind, and certainly that's good. But I'll tell you, if you're waiting for the right feelings to come about in order to restore the right actions, that might or the thoughts or whatever, that might not happen for a while. But what if the right actions would restore the right feelings? Kind of like the Nike ad says, just do it. Mm -hmm. And I think with exercise or movement and things, it's very easy to get stuck. And when we get stuck, we stop developing emotionally. You know, I've seen Damn. big kids in my office, you know, 40, 50 years old that are probably still in their tw- low 20s or teens because they never, something happened, something traumatic happened, something, you know, whatever. And they just, you know, kind of went on and played that when-then game, when things a certain way, then I'll, then I'll deal with it, but mm-hmm. they never deal with it. And it's almost like I talk about experiences that we have. If you if you'd be listening to the news and you'd hear something to the effect of, you know, uh, uh, 25 car pile up on Highway 56 in Ohio. The fog is coming in, and this and that. Well, here comes another one. Boom! <laughs> you know, and you know, you hear that, and you've seen these tragedy things. But oh, yeah. that's a lot of times what like experiences are like with us, inside of us. They just get 
keep rear-ending each other <laughs> and, uh, and, and nothing ever gets cleared out. And I think that's really, really important, especially with, you know, whether you're ADD, ADHD, or just a human walking around the streets. Right. We need that. We need to be understood from our point of view, which simply means feeling felt. You know, do you feel felt when you speak? Are you listen to our people, you know, understanding you from your point of view or even meeting you on your map of development? So. It basically sounds like you're saying everybody needs a therapist. Oh, I I always say don't go to therapists that wouldn't go to a therapist. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, Will they tell you if they have one? Like about like how do you find like I I've 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 been saying for the past few years that I need a therapist. I need a therapist, but again, I'm a procrastinator. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Right. <clears throat> like, how do you even find one? And then how do you find a good one? I don't know of one. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I you know you find I don't know. I you you can always look on your insurance and look on the list of a hundred. I mean, how would you know what? You but know, I don't what know you're walking into. I w- for sure. But I guess what I'm saying is like I don't like if I've never done therapy. Mm-hmm. How would I know if this is a good therapist or not? You'd learn know in the first session or two. Really? Probably. If you connect, that if you feel they listened, if you feel that uh, you mattered to them, if you were able to feel safe, and I always tell people I don't expect you to trust me right off the bat. I'll earn that trust. Okay. And we'll do it on your emotional schedule, not mine. You know, where you come in, I bestow my wisdom on the <laughs> poor, broken wing of the bird. You know, yeah. I, I look at my patients as equal. We're equal. You know, I just have run through up the road a little further than you with my age and experience and the things I do. And maybe I'll, you know, maybe I can come back to your map where you are in your map of development and I can help you there. Not expect you to contort yourself and understand me from my point of view because a lot of times there's too much stuff. There's that extra weight I told you, as you said, the scale not mm-hmm. big enough that needs to be lightened before you start to shift and move in better places. That makes sense. Oh, it makes sense. Good. Yeah, you just need to. I guess you just need to just do it, like you said. Just do it. Just start mm-hmm. finding. Just find. Just go out. And start finding. Like throwing darts at therapists and well, find I, one that, that. I would guess. You know. So. Yeah, you don't know because you got. No, I mean, I. You, you got kind of lucky with yours, like you, well, I was you very, a couple, very lucky. and then you just like that is that sound is that a very common no I don't story think so. to have like how long did you have like twenty five years oh, or yeah. so yeah probably wow and I uh, I was just fortunate very fortunate with that I you know I will get calls now from kids in their thirties that I used to see at eight years old oh nine wow. years old so and, and they'll st- come in I got a couple of kids that have come back and you know as of recently that were part of my past and i love it was that was that gentleman more of a like a mentor to you at at a certain point or is he or was it always a strictly like a professional thing i'm paying this guy to make me feel good like i don't know it's not that wasn't i don't i wouldn't even categorize it paying him to make me feel good he i i pay my parents paid i didn't pay i'm paid my parents paid him to help me find my own truth you know and find what's going on inside of me and what I needed that I wasn't getting what I get in was I was getting that I didn't need usually had to do with the family anyway, and they weren't involved with it. So it was how I could navigate around some of these characters that, you know, that uh, maybe at times didn't operate in my best interest. Okay. Is there an age you would suggest uh, sending, sending your kids or reasons you would suggest for sending your kids to a therapist? Yeah. You know, it's just, I have a, funny i have a collection of new yorker cartoons and there's just one cartoon of this little kid who's 
an infant with a pacifier and he's on this couch and the analyst is next to him with a, a, t- a tablet, you know, taking notes. And he was saying to the baby, I, I wish I would have started therapy at your age. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, so, you know, I, I think any age is good, you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, and sometimes you just, you know, you have to, you have to want to have things be different. You want to ha- want to change. You want to shift. You want to learn different ways to view yourself, life, mm-hmm. and the world because we have a tendency to look at things as very permanent. And the old Buddhist philosophies is everything's temporary. Oh, yeah. You know, everything changes. I mean, you can go down to a river every day at the same time in the same spot and get in the river, but it's never the same river. And it's kind yeah. of the same way when you get up in the morning, you can put your feet on the floor, get out the same side of the bed, put your feet on the rug, but it's never the same day. But it's how interesting it is that we bring all that stuff with us from the past to each day. And the path we're on now, that's this day, everything in, in front of us is not prefabricated. It's what we make it. And if we want to bring something up from the past to throw down there and, you know, you know, waddle through the muck, you might as well. But you got to learn to let go of that. And that's something I think is a lifetime job. I don't think it's yeah. something all of a sudden you arrive and... You know, look, I'm fixed. I'm done. I th- yeah. I figure I'm going to be under repair forever. Yeah. Okay, that's that's encouraging to know. Yeah, because you seem definitely seem like you got everything together pretty darn well. Well, there's I've worked hard at it and yeah, and, and done a lot of reading. And I always say that you know that what hurts you the most instructs you the most. And I am not afraid to think about the hurt, talk about the hurt, cry, be mad, sad. I love to cry about the right things, and it changes everything on the inside, the brain chemistry, and all sorts of measures of your immune system. Uh, I'm going I'm to throw a curveball at you here. Please. We'll, uh, we'll see. I, yeah, I have some some interesting people coming here sometimes, and they're very much like, oh, Scorpios are like, like this, a Taurus is like this, Geminis are crazy, blah, blah, blah. Do you put any credence or read or anything in the kind of like astrology, that kind of astrology type stuff uh, does that ev- do you ever think that has anything to do with uh no, I, don't. <laughs> I don't either i don't i think it, but i was just curious i'm not sure the alignment of stars is going to have anything to do with you know how that goes going. deeper than that it's planets it's stars oh, it's I all the alignments the time yeah, yeah. have you gotten know. down exactly I, what time you were <laughs> i think it's a kind of a way to not really look at some things and not take responsibility for some stuff look it's in the stars it's in the planets this and that and you know uh so now I never I think it's kind of entertaining. And, you know, the palm readers and fortune readers, anyone can say, look at your palm and say, you, you look like you've had some sadness. Well, who in the hell hadn't? Yeah. You know, you, there's been loss. Well, yeah, I lost my dog. Good news. <laughs> How'd you know? You know, type of thing. And so I know I I think I'm pretty reality based. Yeah. But I sure love to get into the 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 emotional world and being able to kind of play to therapy should shouldn't be about with therapy a bout meaning a fight with therapy it should be something to play and explore and to journey and you know just kind of lighten the load and learn ways to develop a language of comfort and problem solve and you know make now better now between can be between now and the time you go to bed so, and you can always be better huh yeah I guess. you think yeah you can always be okay I, you know it's interesting people want to be happy and i say let's just shoot for okay <laughs> Let's just be okay because I think happiness has a short shelf life. Okay. I think it's great to be happy, you know, but I mean, once the music stops and the lights go off, you know, oh, sometimes shit, it's time to go home. Happiness, yeah. you know, kind of drops. And there's uh, two types of happiness. There's this type, uh, there's called hedonic happiness and eidomic happiness. And I don't know if I pronounced the last one right, but the hedonic happiness is 
to do with avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. And there's nothing wrong with that. Who in the heck doesn't want to? Right. Uh, but, you know, it's has to be repeated over and over again to be able to kind of keep that level of happiness up. And then the hedonic happiness is where you don't avoid pain. You deal with the pain. You certainly seek pleasure, but you also seek meaning. And meaning is very important when it comes to kind of making sense of now. You know, what is there meaning in something? I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, there's a study that was done on these two types. And hedonic people actually were, it came out through this testing to be happier than the hedonic people who sought meaning and accepted pain and this and that. So, gosh, you think, well, that's the way to go. Except there's another test that the people who sought meaning were more satisfied in the long run overall with their life and the direction they were going than just the ones that were, you know, trying to ratchet up the fun. And uh, I remember George Carlin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He said uh, he remembered he would walk by someone and they'd say to them, hey, how you doing? And that person would say, fantastic, just awesome, you know, and. Carlin said he'd scratch his head and say, well, I've never been fantastic. I've, never been, I've been okay, but not bad, but pretty good. You know, I think that's what we should shoot for. Not bad, pretty good, okay. You know, and then when we get opportunities to feel happiness or joy and this and that, embrace it and this and that, but know that we're going to probably come back to our baseline of okayness. The sad thing a lot of times, and I've seen this with Xanax and a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, which is really addictive. I've worked with a lot of people with that. That's dangerous Yeah, stuff. very dangerous. And a, They'll feel bad or feel at least even sort of okay, and they'll take a Xanax and feel really good. And then when they come back to okay, okay is not good, and they sink below it. And then, you know, it's going to leave a really big vacuum of depression and frustration and angst because okay is no longer okay. And I think it's really important to embrace the okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess maybe more of like a level a level graph, I guess, yeah. instead of like a roller coaster, yeah, yeah, stock yeah. market type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. What do you, what do you, what, there are people though that are like, you know, think about like, uh, maybe like a hardcore gambler that's just chasing, I want that big high, but then the mm-hmm. super lows, but they just can't get off that up and down. Mm-hmm. Be really interesting to see how they are, you know, uh, in their hut. I, I don't think you ever know a person outside their hut. You what know, does that how, mean? How, how they're living inside in their inner world. I mean, uh, those people are seeking highs, they're outside, this and that. It'd be really interesting to see how they are when the door, when they're behind their door and how they're living inside, if they're content, if they can let go, if they can relax, if they can be present. Probably just depends on if they're on the high or the low end of the... Yeah, if they won or didn't win, as you talk about gambling. So, you know, it's uh, it's not about, I mean, uh, again, I shoot for okay. Okay, so meaning, you're saying like... Oh, meaning, what's what's important? What matters to you? Okay. What, uh, you know, it's uh, very easy for us to sort of assign, you know, certain qualities to certain things. And, you know, like I say, kind of ratchet up our good feelings about this or that. And uh, does it have meaning? Does it last? Is it helpful? Is it uh, does it matter? Is it making maybe the world a better place? Not that I'm, you need to be out there doing everything to, you know, Health fix mankind. everything but why not i mean that's i'd rather err, i'd rather err than <laughs> well that. you say why not of course you're the one that wrote a book yeah. but I'm sure there's a lot of selfish people out there oh, that are just like i just want to be happy for me yeah there's a lot and uh and those are hard people to be around sometimes yeah I tell you. 
Oh, yeah. But meaning I, you know, like I said, with my kids, my grandkids, my good friends, you know, you seek meaning by experiences. And there was a study on happiness a few years back. And this guy studied happiness for 20 years and he distilled happiness down to two uh, two characteristics or two traits. And the first one is connectedness, being connected to somebody or people or a group or a team or a bowling league or anything. Groups. Well, feeling, we're, we're human beings. We need groups, well, right? We need people. Yeah. We need to feel connected. Mm-hmm. The second one is is reciprocation being able to reciprocate i know a lot of people what do you mean i know a lot of reciprocation uh, you know i know a lot of people will give and give and give and oh i don't need anything i just like to give and then i know a lot of people don't give anything they just take and take and take Mm -hmm. you know so you just can't have this highway leading into you with nothing going out or vice versa everything going out and nothing coming in yeah there has to be a balance and 180 degrees from wrong is still wrong you know hot cold good bad black white. i mean you got to find that middle ground and I think that that's where okayness is and a lot of happiness and a lot of meaning is found in that middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is fascinating. Good. Wow. So and that, so outside of just writing a book, not, not I shouldn't say it disparagingly, it's amazing that you wrote no, a book. Yeah. But so you are a therapist as well? Psychotherapist. Psychotherapist. Slash educational consultant. All right, Which is, I'm not sure exactly what that means. But I do <laughs> just a lot looks of good st- on your business card. Yeah, exactly. I do a lot of stuff in schools. I've done a lot of talk. I've sat in a lot of EA, EPA, um, educational. What is it? EPA, EPA, environmental protection. No, it's a EAP meetings. Oh, EAP educational. I don't even know if that's right. Say it again. IEP. Thank you. I have my uh, my editor here to kind of keep me. IEP. I was just thinking the E, you know, environmental protection. Yeah. So those are when the teacher gets in with the poor wayward kid and the counselors are all there and the parents and you're trying to figure out what to do with them and how to help them. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, if you want to change a child's behaviors or belief in themselves, you sometimes have to start with the adults. But the adults don't want to hear that. They want the kid fixed to match these blueprints to be as I need you to be. And I, when you when we go back into ADD and ADHD, I remember sitting in a meeting once with this counselor and the counselor said to the uh, parents and the teacher or the teacher said to the counselor and the parents, they just put should put medication in the drinking fountains so all these kids could drink it. And I said, well, why would you say that? Because I don't have time to deal with all these kids, you know, that have a special needs and this and that. And uh, who said know, this? This is a teacher. <laughs> yeah, and there's, you know, there's. Uh, 30 kids in this class and, you know, uh, she can't tend to each one. And this, these parents are sitting there listening to this. And I said, well, why don't we just remove the wheelchair ramp outside and tell all the kids that are in wheelchairs, try a little harder. Yeah. Push yourself. Yeah. You know, you're not trying and this <laughs> and that. And obviously that didn't go over too well with, with the teacher. But the I got a lot of, you know, sort of yeah. acknowledgement <clears throat> from because these kids do have impairments when was this said who would say that what teacher says that (laughs) that i should just wow yeah there's a lot let's just let's throw the baby out with the bathwater let's just give Mm -hmm. everybody that's somebody that's what she said yeah that's just somebody that does not understand medication or or, kids kids or brain brains yeah Yeah. wow yeah absolutely yeah so our few years ago wow i hope hope they're not teaching is that well I, i would say i hope she's not teaching but i'm sure she's tenured I'm sure. It's kind of the big problem with our education system, if mm-hmm. you ask me. Yeah, there's a lot of that. You know, 
Uh, <laughs> that's that's scary. There's people that are out there thinking like that. Um, when does so we're talking about this stuff with, with kids and development? When does kind of like their frontal cortex kind of stop developing? The and prefrontal it, cortex, you mean? Yeah, that's prefrontal. what I said. Yeah, I thought I meant prefrontal cortex. That's okay, what, I just didn't hear the pre part. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a great speaker. Uh, so yeah, when does that kind of get uh, developed it, and like and, and does putting like how detrimental is putting these children on those kinds of medications? Well, this is, that's interesting as you say that the prefrontal cortex uh, doesn't completely develop to the mid, the the early mid, or sometimes the latter part of the twenties in your twenties, and I think that a lot of these kids that are getting this medicine at a very early age, it's all, it's like turning their minds into sort of, you know, cerebral Play-Doh, you know, it expands and contracts. They don't have, a, they, these, this medicine are creating neural pathways that aren't natural for the kid, you know, but it, it keeps them focused and, you know, it takes life like this and moves it to this. Now, I'm not saying it's not good for some, okay. and it's not necessary. I've seen kids that didn't get medicine that could probably use some, and I saw kids that probably didn't need it got, you know, uh, medicated to the gills. And so, uh, you know, that brain's a pretty delicate thing to work with. And I've heard kids say, you know, that how, you know, the kids that have been medicated throughout life say, how would you like to go on through uh, elementary, middle school, and high school seeing everything through chemicals? You know, and that's a really sad commentary. And I, there's a part in the book I talk about how this one kid named Josh was in my office, and he was really sad because he lost his friend, and I was trying to comfort him. And, you know, gosh, what happened? He was sobbing, just really, really sad. It was the summer. And I said, you know, what happened? Was it, you know, something immediate? Was it a long-term, you know, thing? Or what, how'd he die? And he goes, he didn't die. They put him on medicine. And he had lost his friend because he wasn't the same anymore. We couldn't connect. He didn't laugh. He was, you know, just a zombie. Constricted, yeah. So, oh wow. So I've seen a lot of. And that. he noticed that too. Well, wow. Yeah, that was his friend who was was just a skeletal, you know, kind of a. I wonder what his parents thought. That the parents of the boy that changed. I wonder if they're like, all right, we got our we got our good little working bee now. Well, kind He'll of, make I, a fine a fine outstanding citizen uh, using a cash register. I think you're at yeah. I think you're absolutely right on some of that because I think medication is sometimes more for the teacher or the parent than it is for the kid that you know they need them suppressed, you know, because they have difficulty with you know channeling that overflow of energy, and that's why it's so important that you find what these kids are good at, what they're interested in, and feed that. You know, feed. what if it's video games? Well, it's a lot of that is, and you know what's interesting is that. Uh, some of those video games are—they're not easy. It's not just hitting a mole with a whack—I mean, a <laughs> whack a mole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hard, intricate learning where they learn patterns and stuff. Sad thing is, it's just brain candy. You know, I mean, it's just the colors. And I remember this—they—they uh, they throw things that they know they're going to addict people with, like these little oh, loot boxes where if you do this today, you're going to get this free little thing that means nothing. But it just—it's mm -hmm. very yeah. They've got psychologists in there that just work on these games to addict people sure well think of this you know you're a kid and you're playing a game and you know you're moving regimes across terrain yeah. and this and that or you're up in the galaxy this and that and your parents say it's time to play outside so you go outside and you hold a stick i mean i don't know what you do right you know when you could be in the galaxies and look i'm playing you know it's I mean, hard to contend it with. it's very very yeah. hard to contend the real world is very hard to contend with that yeah. pretend world that's yeah. done especially as technology 
gets bigger and bigger. That's something I'm very concerned with, with not only children, but adults, is now that you see this virtual reality, these goggles that people are putting on. Well, that's the very beginning steps right now. And that's like next level futuristic stuff. Oh, yeah. Give it 20 years. It's going to be indistinguishable from real life. And then where are we at as a society? Well, if you want to get real weird for a moment, which you seem like you might want to. Always. There was a study that was done and they said by the year 2050, I was at a big, huge symposium in uh, Washington with all these great speakers and, you know, clinicians that I've had respect for and followed. Well, I wasn't there. Well, you should have been. Uh, the uh, doc, I mean, this one lady said by the year 2050, more people will be having sex with dolls, virtual, and something else. I don't know what it was. I've heard that. Than human to human contact. It's just too messy and emotions, and you don't have to buy dinner, you know, and all that <laughs> stuff. And it's just more of a, a, a maintenance thing and as, as opposed to any sort of emotional connection on any level. So you talk about 20 years from now. That's what they were talking about in this talk about. I definitely, I can definitely see that as just, yeah, just the way technology goes. I mean, and the funny, sad, funny thing is it seems like porn pushes technology. It's always kind of pushed technology when you think about it, like, especially it's, uh, it went from like laser discs, Mm -hmm. they went from uh, beta porn to VHS and we're like, and the things that was that was pushing technology mm-hmm. was pornography like what what's bad well how can we get better pornography these vhs's are fine but do you remember laser discs mm-hmm. those big old discs mm-hmm. that was because of pornography they were trying to throw that on there and then when you look at the internet a lot of that start things started mm-hmm. getting better and then virtual reality pornography is pushing this stuff and it's you know i wouldn't know i've never seen it ah! I'm, I'm, no, I'm, joking. <laughs> I'm joking so anyway the point yeah i understand that yeah it's and it's weird when you kind of base and it's getting up it's going to be ratcheted up yeah more. and so i could see that by 2050 where people are yeah right. and then what happens to the human race when we're all done like yeah. who's mating with each other at mm-hmm. that point is it just well you know a lot of the generation now are looking up at their adults in their lives and thinking why well, do i don't want to grow up and be like that they don't seem to be having a lot of fun you know there's you know the divorce rate they used to talk about you know uh 45% of Americans get divorced. Well, a lot of it's over It's over 50 now. And a lot of people aren't even getting married because why get into some... Well, that's me. I'm never getting stick- married again. Yeah. I've- and my, and I'm, my reasoning is I, I'm not a religious person. Mm-hmm. I feel like marriage is between you, your partner, and God. That's kind of what it was for. I don't need the government getting involved with my relationship. That's- sure. Well, I understand that. Government's quite intrusive. Lately. Yeah, I mean, especially when you when you do get divorced and get you know screwed over, like oh, some I, people oh, do. Yeah, you know, it's like right. I'm not doing that ever again. Mm-hmm. I learned my lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Saw a now, lot ladies of out there, that doesn't mean I won't you know date you, be with you, but yeah, you know, I'm not right. marrying your ass. Yeah, right. <laughs> I understand. That's uh, it's good to know. <laughs> I'm upfront with that. I appreciate it. Um, did, have you done an audio book for this? No, but I can you tell me who to go to and where and how to do it? Yeah, you're looking at them. Let's do it tomorrow. Start tomorrow. Uh, I'll Next give you. I, 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 if you wanted to, I'll give you access to this studio and you can. Will you show me how to do it and I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll pay you whatever. Yeah, we yeah. don't really have to. Pizza. Pizza, beer, whiskey. Yeah. A bottle of whiskey, we'll call it. Yeah, good. I'd like that because I've had many people, including my son, who said, I'd like to read it, Dad, but I just don't have the time. Put it on an audio book and I'll listen to all of it. Yeah. I, I've i been, a, I love reading. Uh, mm-hmm. I, my, 
Can I give you a book? You don't yeah. have to read it, but can did I you just write give one? you a I did not, but my grandpa did. Yeah, I'd love to see And it. I've got a whole bunch. And yeah. I, what, what is it about? What's it? It's a political fiction kind of book based on kind of a true a true events, but then I don't know. It's yeah, I'd love to. I'll take it. Make sure this is. Is he alive? He is not. He just died a couple years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Lady of the Night. Lady of the Night. Uh, it was a, a beautiful. Richard. Richard Heyman. It was a beautiful death, if I uh, don't mind saying. Just tell me about saying it. So. it was, um, so his, uh, I get goosebumps right now thinking about it. Wonderful. His always... biggest fear in life was dying alone. Mm. And he had been in like a, a home for thank, a little bit. Thank and, you. And, yeah, and, um, and I got a call from my mom. I, he's in Michigan. And my parents, all my family was in Michigan. And I get a call. One day, hey, uh, you know, Grandpa's not looking so good. Maybe you should come on out here and, you know, this could be the last time you see him. I was like, and that was my mom. I was like, yeah, yeah. My, my mom can be a little, she said that quite a few times with my dad, with my grandpa. Like, yeah. oh, so I was like, all right, all right. So then I called my dad. <laughs> After I hung up with my mom, I called my dad. Hey, dad, you know how mom is. She's mentioned this a few What do you think? He's like, oh, no, it's this you should come out here i'm flying you out come on good i left work went straight to the airport mm -hmm. didn't even pack any bags and went straight there landed got went straight to the hospital and had like an hour an hour there until he was gone but wow. he had his whole family like pulled the plug or gave him the medicine or whatever was he cognizant did he know yeah he was there? conscious he, he knew everyone there i got to talk to him and then we all just put our hands on him as he passed Whoa. away and it was a really just a beautiful like yeah. whoa not a, you know, I've sometimes you know, often say like I'd just like to get struck by a meteor out of nowhere. I just mm. I don't want to see it coming. No, I just want bam. Yeah, yeah. But if uh, you know, that's not a horrible way too, to just see all the people that you've loved and the generations that you've brought up all mm -hmm. surrounding you, yes. loving you. So yeah, yeah. It's would be nice to go with people telling good stories about you around you. Yeah, as opposed to alone. Yeah, that's a scary thought. Yeah, it is. Who wants to die alone? I have a mom that's 94. Whoa. And, uh, Some genetics there. Yeah, bless her heart, but she's no treat. And uh, <laughs> she really has a, you know, it's a, you know, she doesn't, oh, she's outlived everybody. Except her, oh, her 97-year-old sister. Oh. Still, uh, yeah. Is, so, it, is it competitive? No. Like, I'm going no. out, to outlive her. No, not at all. <laughs> but, uh, but I understand that she's scared when she's alone and she's scared to, you know, she's going to be alone and she doesn't want to let go. And, you know, so I understand that he did it right. Richard. Richard did it right. Yeah. Got a, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we can all go out some kind of yeah. like that. Uh, so what's the future with your book? Do you have uh, like a, a, a sequel going to come out or is, is this yeah. your first book? Yes, but there's an interesting story on that. Uh, when I was done with all of it, you had, I had over a thousand or more pages double spaced and which would have come out to about a 500 600 page book and so i was advised by some people close to me uh does it start that, out with yeah, my name is ishmael yeah yeah take a <laughs> take a takes the best of what you think's there and just make it this and we'll have a sequel to this so i still have another book waiting after this we'll see what happens we'll see if people <clears throat> still stick with me uh, um how long has it been out <clears throat> About two or three weeks, maybe. Oh, three my weeks, gosh. Yeah. Wow, this is fresh, hot. I knew yes. it was warm, but I just thought it was because it was hot outside. Yeah, that thing is off the press, baby. Yeah, it's fresh. Wow. Well, did you enjoy it? Was it an enjoyable process? Yes, it was. It okay. Was, uh, 
because I, I I I don't have a fatigue point on certain things. So Bring just, this mic a little bit closer to you. If yeah, you I, I I don't have didn't have much of a fatigue point, so I kept writing and writing and studying and studying and adding more and taking away. I think it was fun for me. I think my editor, who happens to be here, Phyllis. I don't think it was easy for her, but she was great and wonderful and patient, and uh, she made sure that it was done right, where I probably could have been, ah, that's good, and she said, no, it's not. So I think that, you know, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have been able to do it to the degree in which we did it, and I thank her for that. Was the process at all painstaking, hard, like, to get it actually published and out there? Like, what is the process of that? Like, to, yeah, I mean, like, you write it down, and then, all right, now what? Well, you send it to them, and sometimes I had a hard time sending stuff, and, you know, how do you send a manuscript, and then they send back this thing in which you sort of go over and, you know, correct things. You put them in certain little – I mean, it was, to me, I'm not – That's I, I need a third grader to help me with all that stuff. <laughs> I'm not tech-savvy at all. Right. And – uh. Phyllis is a little more than me, but we both had a hard time with that. And we'd have a friend come in and save us, you know, when we got stuck or, you know, a page disappeared or something. What are the expectations with, with a book like this? Is it to try and get into libraries and schools, other therapists, into uh, Barnes and Noble? Like, what, what is your hopes and, like, the big goal with this? Oprah's Couch. Uh, does she still do that? No, I don't think so. You're on the Under Talk podcast. Who are you talking yeah. about? Who's Oprah? Yeah, yeah, very good. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, I really did it in some ways just because I had a lot to say, and okay, I knew a lot of people that were not getting quality information or understood from their point of view, and they didn't know the neuroscience behind stuff mixed with what I consider the ancient wisdoms that kind of make now better, and all the stuff that I've learned through working for 35 years with people. And groups and talks and workshops. Yeah, you mentioned so, something about in the intro or the piece that I got about ancient wisdom and mm-hmm. then new age kind of or newer medical type stuff or whatever. New mm-hmm. uh, what neuroscience? Neuroscience. Sorry. What like how do those connect? Like what do you, what do you exactly mean by ancient like Eastern Eastern oh, yeah, mystical? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot wisdom. of wisdom. Are we talking Marcus Aurelius and meditation wisdom? Well, like, what I, do we? I think that you know that. What do they say? There's nothing really new under the sun. It's just packaged different. Okay. And I, I think that that you hear a lot of stuff. It's like like a, there's a fellow named Ruby, a 12th century mystic, that wrote all sorts of wonderful things. And I love it. one of his quotes. He says, you know, with all your ideas of right and wrong and all my ideas of right and wrong, there's a field. I'll meet you in the middle. You know, I mean, just that understanding of really simple humanness. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to some big, long, complex theory that, you know, is tries to make someone, I think, some of the people sound smarter than they are. When really, <laughs> I think it's very simple, you know, that, you know, the, uh, you know, do good because doing good is good to do. You know, don't be bribed by heaven or threatened by hell. Just do good because doing good is good to do. And figure out what that is and see people in your life that model that for you that you want to emulate. And a lot of people never see anyone they want to emulate and they just kind of go inside because there's yeah. not a lot of healthy people around them. And if you're ADHD or ADD, you absorb all that stuff. And, you know, I always, I think I had a point part in there that childhood is like the air you breathe. And if you're in a house and someone's smoking cigarettes, you breathe in the secondary smoke. 
But if you're in a house and there's anger, control, negativity, pessimism, you know, stilted religions and fake joy or whatever, right, as well as good things too, a child will inhale that too. And it's that right there becomes their roadmap through life, so to speak. And you have to figure out the best thing for them to inhale as a parent. Well, absolutely. And the better you feel about yourself, the more you show. And a lot of times there's a part of us that, you know, go through life pretty cloaked. And right, putting yeah. on a show, just trying to put one foot in front of the other, and make sure you at least look good to some people. Yeah, that's uh, you know that I, I I refer to that as impression management. A lot of us try and do a lot of impression management. Oh wow, that's and, a really good. And you know, kind of you know, put <laughs> yeah. on a persona, you know, that makes us yeah sometimes keeps people wow. out too. It keeps a lot, depending on the group and how you're portraying yourself, it definitely keeps people out. It mm-hmm. definitely, yeah, I was in a, like I said, I'm not religious, religious now, but I dabbled with it for a little bit. And that's one reason why I still don't, da- why I don't dabble with it is because I did see a lot of what you would call that Im- impression. Oh, yeah. Faking. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. There's a lot of that cover up, you know. Is, oh boy. It, would you say religion is a good thing or a bad thing when it comes to like raising kids with this kind of thing? Like, like are those kind of like strict doctrines and guilt kind of? Man, maybe that's putting the wrong thing on there. It's not always guilt driven, but like, is a religious household? Would you say neutral, good, bad, or no opinion on it? As far I as like all sorts of opinions, which might you know make them not by the book, uh, but. They've had exorcisms, some churches, to try and get rid the child of their ADD and ADHD-ness. Yeah. Some pretty hardcore stuff where we're going to, you know, scare the devil out of you or whatever yeah. this is all because. So, yeah, it's pretty extreme. How do you fight that stuff? Well, you don't. You just hope the kid will be able to. Figure it out. Or just be able to escape. <laughs> you know, yeah. sort of. No, I think. Oh. That, I think. I think. The. You know, you always hear people say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Right. You know, and I think that that's a lot of times what I find myself doing is trying to, you know, you always hear the tripod, mind, body, and spirit. Mine's like a quad pod, mind, body, spirit, and heart. Because I will trust your heart's song, so to speak, and what your heart feels. I'm not sure I want to venture up in some people's heads <laughs> and trust what's up there because it's like a sometimes a blender is just spinning around and, you know, you're trying to act and portray a certain way and be a certain way. But if we just get down to our heart, we're pretty honest, pretty open, pretty sincere, pretty vulnerable. So, uh, and I think religions, the the religions that have helped me the most and the some of the beliefs or writings or readings are the things that twang my heart. Mm-hmm. not pique my intellectual interests. So I think that can be very good for some people. And it's, you know, what did Karl Marx refer to as the opiate of the masses, <laughs> religion is. So, Indeed. you know, so Indeed. it can be good for some. And I've seen people hide behind it. I've had people come into my office, and before they sit down, they've asked me, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? And, this, and I said, well, I'm not sure that's going to have much to do with what we're going to be doing. <laughs> and uh, they turned around and leave, you know, sometimes. And, right. Which is fine. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So, Better now than yeah, yeah, way, yeah, wasting either one of each other's times. Yeah, but I'm not against that if that's what they need. And there's places that some people will can go, and someone yeah. will feed into that and give them and tell them whatever they want to hear, or, uh, or yeah. meet meet them there. But I have a hard time. You know, it's not that I don't believe Jesus wasn't a pretty good guy, probably, but I have a hard time. 
you know, going into that and wanting that to be part of the right part of the uh, the therapy. Yeah, I went. Um, so I, again, uh, I, I was married, and it was a religious type uh, relationship marriage. And before we divorced, you know, she's like, yeah, let's, you know, go do some therapy. Here's uh, here here's who I want. Who, who here's who you should go to. It's who said that to you? This my is, wife. The, okay. My wife at the time. And it was because it was free because her mom works for this therapy council session and, and family members get it for free. But it's a Christian, biblically based mm. uh, type therapy or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And I went I went two times. And I, I guess you were right earlier when I asked you, how are you going to know if it's a good therapist? I knew right away. This guy was like insulting me immediately and didn't believe in um uh brain chemistry like 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 different kinds of he just didn't believe in different brain chemistries how brains could be science they don't believe in science he didn't believe in science he basically thought the way you can cure yourself is you know read these different passages and pray this pray this you know psalm and yeah i don't think you can pray things away yeah that's i was like well i mean that stuff's good it's help yeah it can it can help you feel good for a moment but you know there's stuff going on approaching things too Mm -hmm. good prayer can help you approach things in the right way with maybe a a healthy neutrality and this and that and uh i think there's some room for i don't think religion is terribly bad i think it could be good for a good scaffolding to mm-hmm. give yourself maybe a, a good guideline on, you know, to treat your neighbor like you love him type stuff. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Yeah. Then at some point it gets a little wild. Well, yeah, I think it's kind of scary. I think, you know, the diatonic scale of music is, <clears throat> you know, do, re, mi, fa. And I think certain religions are like do, 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 do. <laughs> they never really get much up into something else because they have this one note and this one approach. And, yeah you know, match these blueprints and be as we need you to be. And then you'll we'll make sure you get to heaven, you know, yeah. as long as you put enough in the offering plate sometimes. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Man, I didn't mean to go that way. It just kind of, it just kind of yeah. ended that way. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, let's get a, I would love to get this on audio for sure. Like we were talking earlier, uh, a good, good friend of mine that was on the podcast was Toriano Porter. He's got a book. It's the, the five people you meet in the hood before you get to heaven and he was able to do a a good little audio book and uh yeah i would love i think that's just yeah. it's just funny that's how it is right now with like you're saying your son doesn't have time to read or whoever you're saying didn't have time to read they want to listen to stuff now yeah. it is that's where our society seems oh, yeah. to be going like i said i was saying earlier i i grew up reading i love reading like i said uh my grandpa was i loved mm-hmm. i got all that stuff but i do find myself from time to time now getting in the audio book mm-hmm. and I kind of struggle with it because like, am I really reading it? Is it the same? Mm-hmm. So I've had, I've had multiple authors on before. Well, what is, what do you say or think if I listen to your book, is it the same as reading it? Well, I think when you read, you can underline, you can go back and read something over and over again with auto, you hit the rewind, go back, go back. you know, I think that, you know, it's, it doesn't things don't sink in the mind and brain easy the first time anyway that's why i think repetition is so important i kind of look at the the our brain and mind kind of like the back of a pickup truck and you can take down the tailgate and you can put a little information you read something you hear something you put it on a bucket right on the tailgate and then you drive off well if you 
what's going to happen? It's going to fall right out. <laughs> so you have to push it into the brain, into the mind, you know, till it gets back into the bed of the truck against the cab. Then you tether it to something, and that takes repetition. I mean, no one learned ABCs once. You learned them over and over again. Well, I think that some things like this you, in audio and books, you just sometimes have to read of things more than a few times to be able to get it to sink in. I mean, that happens to me all the time still. I don't. Right. I read things a lot over and over, and I take a lot. Would of you be offended if somebody listened to your book and say I read his book? Nah, it wouldn't bother me. <laughs> I would. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You, you will. We'll get. We'll get that done. I, I think it'd be great. To. Yeah. I think it'd be awesome. And then once we get it done, what do we do with it? How do you um, get it out? I I would uh, you know what I'll, I can probably ask Toriano how he did it, but I imagine it wouldn't be that hard. It's just a, there's a, a a company. Have you heard of Audible? Yeah, Audible, that's I'm, where you want it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I imagine you could def, you could probably contact them and say, hey, look, I've got our book. It's already established. It's out there. It's selling. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Let's put it out there. Um, and then of course there's always YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Type, but eh, you want to make money on it? I'd put it on. I'd I'd find a way to put it on on Audible. That's my goal. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, where where can people find the book? I understand it's on Barnes and Noble. You oh, can, really? It's in the I Barnes think, and Noble. No, it's in the uh, online.com, yeah, BarnesandNoble.com, yeah, and Amazon, and a couple other different places that I don't even know. But it's—I don't think they have anything on the bookshelves yet, which is what I'd like. But I think when you self-publish, at first, it's it's kind of an on-demand thing. You okay. order it. So I mean, I'd like to see it on you know it's packed on every shelf in every airport. But oh, you know, that's that's you, that yeah, that's the trick, right? I don't know Getting how to airports. do that. You have to be. You got to know more, somebody. Much more connected than me. Yeah, you have some connections, and you got to, you know, you got to grease them a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah, very possible. Uh, I would think it wouldn't be terribly hard to get into, like maybe the Barnes and Noble on plot on the plaza. How yeah. cool would that be? I've already gone and talked to my offices on the plaza. Oh wow! And they said, well, it's a, it's a buy, it's a something by order. You know, it's there's a term and uh, in the book world. You know, you know, we'll stock it by order, which means. They'll come in to get the one book someone ordered. So I don't oh, know how to get on there. They won't even nice. put it on the bookshelf. Darn. Yeah. Well, we got to figure that out. So are you just doing just kind of like a press run type now, going all over the place? And Well, I've been – today I did a little talk at a uh, place and uh, signed a few books. I think it's kind of funny when someone wants you to sign something. Like it gives, makes me feel famous for a fleeting moment. You know, so, I think that's just kind of book culture. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So too. So, uh, you know, my I, 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 it'd be nice to sell it, make a ton of money, but that's not my goal. My goal is to get some good information to people that they wouldn't get unless they spent a lot of time in therapy. And this is kind of some consolidated stuff. Uh, but I really like doing talks and workshops and things like that. And okay. I've had the privilege of speaking in Germany, Italy, Ethiopia, some pretty weird places. Ooh. And yeah. So. Addis Ababa. I was there. Nice. Have you been there? I have not. I just have uh, one of my best friends is from there. Yeah, that's exactly where I was. Yeah. Uh, so mean, anyway. It means new flower. I have no idea what that meant. It, it I mean, mean, I believe Yeah, it. yeah. It means yeah. new flower. That's all yeah. I that's well, that's all good. I know. I, now I know that in case someone asks. What's uh, What's your favorite place that you have visited if you have one? Italy. Really? Yeah. I the food there, or what? I went there twice. And the first time I went there was to work with ex-NBA basketball players in the latter stages of their career. Oh, wow. Playing that European Ital- League? Yeah, European League, yeah, which was a whole unbelievable experience. Oh, how uh, so? Well, it'd be like independence having 
a professional team in Blue Springs, having a professional team in, you know, uh, say Prairie Village, having, I mean, it's a small, you're small. I mean, each, you know, country is not huge okay. and they each have a professional team. And, and sometimes within the city, there'd be a couple of different professional teams. One would be Kleenex, one would be Sony, one would be, you really? know, Clorox. Wow. You know, and they would just, I mean, they'd have, you know, tremendous battles. I was there during the playoffs, which was oh, wow. great. And uh, they had big plastic uh, sheets behind the bench because when the ref would make a bad call, everyone would throw pennies. And they'd stop, <laughs> they'd stop the game, and then they'd sweep up the pennies. pennies really? would go, go to the chair, I mean, a chair. Oh, that but, sounds wild. No, it was crazy wild. Whoa. So I was able to spend some time there, and that was a lot of fun, a lot of enjoyment. Are they still doing that? Is this, this I don't know if they're still throwing the pennies. At probably. I want to go. Yeah, it was great fun. I, I've been wanting to travel so bad. Over, I've never really traveled. I've gone to like Canada and Mexico. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't count. Sort of. Kind but of. I understand what you're saying. And I've been I've been addicted to these. Uh, I, I love YouTube. That's my form of entertainment. Sure. And I've been addicted to these bull fighting and uh, running with the bull and ah. all these stuff in Spain. And I think they do it in Italy. Uh, what's right next to Spain? Is it? Uh, uh, France. Never Not, I mean, next to Spain. Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, but they got, hey, I'm just addicted to watching all these, like you're saying, all these different small towns. And I never thought about it until now. I don't know why. But it would seem like, yeah, Independence, Blue Springs. Because, yeah, how big is Italy? Like, yeah. how, compare Italy to a state. Like, what size state would Italy be? Pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a few Italy's would fit in Texas. So Yeah. Right. It probably would. Probably the panhandle. Yeah, right, right. So Italy's the best, huh? I enjoy it the favorite? best. The food, the people, the, you know, the atmosphere. It was very, very pleasing. Do you love to travel, or is that just kind of a no, bummer? I tra- love to travel. You do? Do you still? Are you big? When, yeah. Well, Cabo, I've been there probably 20 times, 25 times to Cabo. In fact, took my editor there last year. Oh, nice. Yeah. So. Well, you have some fun, Thomas, don't I, you? Oh, I, I can say that that. You have some fun, but overall, you're okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, funds, I think, uh, you know, the primary word that I want to have. What's your idea of fun? What's fun? Thomas's dream day. What's your dream day of having fun? Like, boom, or Be, two, three days. Like being close to people I love that love me back. Uh, playing harmonica. I play music. Oh, cool. Uh, the exercising in some form. Reading something really good. Eating something quality and maybe more than I should. And uh, getting some good sleep. Give, all really right, good. you like. But to I'm eat. older now. I'm mean, a kid. It would have been music running around. You, you know. still, you don't look terribly old, I and you look that. like you have a lot of fun. Yeah, you, I, you look like you got a youthful energy to oh, you. I still do. I can see it in your eyes. I appreciate that. What is a good place? Like you like to eat. What are some good spots here in Kansas City that you're like? I love that. Garozos. I knew you were going to say. How did I know that? Just because you said it, Italy, I knew you were going to say Garozos. Yeah, I love Garozos too. Yeah. That's my. That's one of my favorite spots. When my mom comes comes to visit, that's her favorite spot. It's like we're going to Garozos. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the spadini. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I, I I like sushi. So there's a bunch of different places. They used to have a place on 39th that closed, but Friends. No, uh, it might have been. You know. I don't remember the name of 39th and something. It might have called something Wasabe, Mr. Okay. Wasabe or <laughs> Wasabe Junction or something like that. But, you know, that's I'd love to eat the sushi or love to eat Italian. 
salads, big salads. I love those. Oh, you're a salad guy? Yeah. An Italian salad? Oh, yes. All Very right. Much. You drink it all? Not much. What would you say? Got high for years, but haven't for now. Okay. High on what? Pot. Weed? Pot, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to ask, what are your opinions on extracurricular drugs and ADD, ADHD? Does marijuana help? Does CBD help? Mm-hmm. Stay away from it? No problem with it? Is there any kind of I, I, I opinion? Really, I really don't have much of a, a problem with marijuana. I think that it, you know, if you don't become sort of a tar brain bong sucking troll, I think that you'll do well. I mean, but usually I think that a lot of kids today, I mean, they overdo it quite a bit. Oh, they've got they've got these unbelievable kush, the pins, everything. Not the, even the pins, the, the dabs, the, the dabs, the dabs. Well, yeah, that's where you take it to a whole nother level. When you need to bring a crack torch and a piece of metal and a whole other another device just to take a hit, take a hit. Like you yeah. might you might need to reexamine your life. Yeah, I just think that I always say as long as you get your stuff done, you're honest, you tell the truth, you exercise, you do the right thing. I don't really think a little bit of something is going to hurt you it's because when it becomes a way of life and a prerequisite for everything that i believe that it becomes a you know really difficult problem yeah yeah i mean that makes sense if you're using it as a crutch or a Mm -hmm. like what's the word they use uh rescue escape escape rescue Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have like as far as like add adhd people it doesn't have any kind of adverse effect or sometimes i think that that pot in certain cases helps sort of decarbonate the brain. I think it can calm you down. I'm not promoting it, saying sure. everyone should go out and get blazed. Oh, I understand. But I think that, uh, you know, it's probably a little m- much more natural effect on the brain than some synthetic. Yeah, you know, that's kind of where I was thing. going with. Like, it, you, it seems like you're kind of, you're not against uh, synthetic, but you want to stay away from them at all possibilities. And I just mm-hmm. wonder, if, are there... Are there natural remedies or medicines that you would advocate or, or think are okay to kind of help people that suffer? I don't know if it's a sufferer, but... Yeah, that, suffer's that. okay. The, 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 there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff, but I'm pretty just straightforward. Let's talk, let's think, let's feel, let's laugh, let's cry, let's, you know, dance, let's play music, let's do whatever you need to do to make now better. I'm not sure it's going to be bee pollen. When did you grow up? What were like? Where? When? 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 In the well, I was born in '55, so I was 67 now. So I grew up. If you if you mark it by music, yeah, I'm marking well, it by music. If you mark it by music, Hendrix, The Beatles, Stones, wow. Janis Joplin, yeah, 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 all that stuff. And one of the things that was kind of cool about my life in music was when my I told you my dad was editor of the editorial page of the Kansas City Star, but when he started off at the Star, he covered wrecks and fires. Then he moved up to you know different desks and then became associate editor vice president really had a great trajectory of success in his field but in the beginning he would uh did record reviews because he was a expert jazz drummer in college he had a band called uh, jimmy scott and the sultans of swing so he was a very very good musician and actually would took me to see duke ellington count basie ella fitzgerald wow Monk, dizzy Whoa. gillespie Whoa. i've seen all the you've jazz seen bass. all the legends because of dad you know so, uh but when he would rec- when he would do the reviews uh for the newspaper the music reviews what the record companies would do is send him records or send the star records he'd take them home we'd listen to him oh cool and i would get all these albums before they ever, ever came out and the corners would be cut off and it would say promotional album not for sale <laughs> and so i and, and music was always very important i remember getting on my bike 
when I was little and driving to the store to buy the new Jefferson Airplane album or the new Stones album when I was 11 or 12. Wow. But I distinctly remember calling my friends, hey, come on, Dan, there's a new Beatles, something called Sgt. Pepper. Wow. You know, and so my friends would come down, and everyone knew the Beatles back then, obviously. Whoa. Then I, I think in that same year, I'd say, hey, come on down, I got it. Magical mystery tour. It's weird. Come on, you know. So we got all that stuff a month or so before it ever hit the thing. The, wow! So I was inundated with music my whole life, and I found it very, very important, very therapeutic, and I can put on music and just lose myself very easily. Is there music now that you listen to that can do that, or do you, uh, music that's made now, or are you do you do? You, yeah, there's, at, there's at your age, do you mi- listen to old, just the old stuff that you liked and grew up with? Like the I mean, classic rock's great. It's yeah. overplayed to me, but yeah. Hendrix is my favorite. Yeah. I love some Zeppelin. Like I saw them twice. Wow. Zeppelin. Um, Damn. There's a, that's the dream. That's the thing. Like if I could go back in time, I want to see Zeppelin or Hendrix. Like yeah. Wow. There's not a whole lot of stuff coming out now that I just love. I can't. I mean, there's great musicians. There's some you know country and soul and some funk stuff and. I didn't mind some of the early hip hop stuff. I thought that was great, and I took my sons to see Snoop and Eminem. Nice, and, wow! Uh, all these, you know, that stuff. But the newer stuff, I'm not. What a cool dad! No, I'd like to think so. Yeah. Uh, but the new stuff, I'm not. I am not as enamored. In fact, I took my grandsons uh, a month ago to see Snoop. You know, so I took. How my, was it? It was all right. It was great. Ice, yeah. Ice Cube was the second show, and Snoop was great. I saw Snoop about uh, 10 or 12 years ago, and it was it was fine. I, I didn't yeah, it was all right. It was fine. He did a lot of uh, not rapping, but letting his vocal, you know, the re- sure. pre-recorded stuff go. I was like, hey. Yeah, that wasn't that much the, the other day when we saw him. But I saw him with Dre, and uh, when Dre came with him, that was unbelievable. I would like, yeah, I've never seen him. Whoa. All right, so... You, Oh, one so more. music is important. Yeah, it is. What is it about music that makes everybody across the board just not everybody? I've met some yeah, people who like, don't a, like music. Yeah. I'm like, how do you not like music? What the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. You don't like music? Who says that? Right. But it, it it touches so many people, and I do think it can be therapeutic. Very therapeutic. I had a friend who recorded a bunch of uh, country songs. I said, get get me some crying your beer songs that twang you deep and make you feel. And he gave it to me, and there's some patience I paid that for, just to just to kind of get through the wow. the characterological armor. Yeah, yeah. Or you know those chicken soup for the soul books that have. Those oh books. yeah, I've heard of those. I've had some pretty stiff, rigid, inflexible people in my office where I'll take the book and I'll go like this. Hey, tell me when to stop. He'll tell me when to stop, and I'll read something. And if it's pretty powerful, I'll end up choking through it, and they're over there <laughs> feeling it too. So, well, all right. Uh, one more question, and I'll let you get out of here. Go ahead. Uh, you said you're a reader. I imagine you've been reading most of your life. Yes. Give me a list of like five books maybe everybody should read or that you particularly love. Like give me a give me uh, a little list the of Buddha, some... The Buddha's Brain. The Buddha's Brain? The Buddha's Brain by Rick Hansen. Mind Sight <laughs> by uh, Dr. Uh, Siegel. I can't think of his first name all of a sudden. Dan Siegel. Uh, I love... Uh, some those are the two main authors I like. I I like. There's some podcasts by a woman named Tammy Simon who has a lot of authors on there, and you know just to think of right off the bat, I can't think. But those two are the ones that have shaped me a lot. Uh, Siegel and Rick Hansen. Um, I, I and, those are, and those are nonfiction. Nonfiction about 
neuroscience and the brain and emotions and feelings and things. And I can't think of a lot right off popped up. Those are two just popped right Okay, up, okay. Are you a fan of fiction at all? or I hardly read ever, any fiction, so I'm excited about reading that. I, I yeah I used I, well, I like it because it says it's uh, a novel based on true events. Yeah, I, I, you might I, I don't know if you like it, you like it. If not, you know it's not going to hurt my feelings. Well, I didn't write it. No, I understand. And if, you like, <laughs> if you like it, you like it. If you don't, I like say I liked I liked chapter twenty, and it got me super excited to want to read more, and it also got me. I don't think nervous is the right word. Self reflective. Yeah. Might be the right word after yeah. reading the the ch- your chapter which that made you nervous. <laughs> it which made me nervous. Yeah. I was like, oh my god! I was like, I don't. I'm sure you can relate to this as a parent. I constantly struggle with: am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. Am I doing good enough? I am I. Not, I don't want to screw him up, especially knowing like part of the things that put me in that situational depression earlier was knowing the statistics on divorced. Kid, kids from divorced families and i'm just like oh, i just don't i just don't want to mess my kids up i love them so much they're my favorite there, thing on earth be present talk play don't just just don't just provide the play but participate in it mm-hmm. with them there's a whole section on uh parenting toward peace of mind that we'll talk all about that you will find and there are many suggestions on how to be there yeah, like I said, I got very excited about reading that. I was Good. like, I think this book is really going to help me because I, I know I need help. I really do. I, I'm a, all of us do. I'm an amazing dad. I, I will brag about that, but I know I have a lot. I know I have a yeah. lot to improve on. It could be yeah. way better. I, I love my kids. I love being a father, but I know I struggle with different areas where I know they're, they're going to need me to be better. Yeah. Just and just reading that one chapter is like, oh, my God. All right. This is what I need. I need mm-hmm. this in my life to, yeah. like, really. I think. And then I wanted to. But before I got, like, super all in on it, I wanted to at least meet you and make sure you sure. weren't a quack yet well, before I read this to well, make sure. All right. I think maybe I can probably trust this guy. Well, I appreciate that. I hope <laughs> I didn't come off as a quack. Not yet. Not yet. Good, good. I always say uh, people will say, you know, uh, uh, they're going to promote my book and say, well, don't read it first. Just promote it. <laughs> so I think you'll like well, it. Well, no, the greatest thing where I knew you weren't a quack, where I knew this was going to be good, you came in and said, hey, here's a line of cocaine. Let's get wild. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, everybody. He did not do that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, all right. Uh, what was the last thing you would like to say before we go? How can people find your book? Where do you want people to go? How can people find you? Like, well, pimp yourself, Thomas. Well, I... Uh, my am on my office 913-579-6840 there she can call me he's in kansas everybody uh, uh i'm in missouri uh, 913 but that, but i that's my okay. old kansas number uh that you can get the book on amazon or you can uh, barnes and noble and some other sites what's most important to me is that everybody be able to sand the sharp edges inside and sharpen the dull ones and sort of enjoy now let go of what you don't need anymore so we can literally make now better and if we make now better 20 minutes from now will be easier so that's kind of the the make now better so later's later's better yeah read his book to figure out how to make later better yeah and also probably get a therapist to figure out how to make later better huh sure sure. I, i think that is the big come away i came away from this episode this podcast with you is get a therapist yeah it's stupid i think it's yeah I, you said that i didn't i know but yeah i'm yeah. stupid i'm i no, know no, no, no. <laughs> i think it's good so it's important yeah. feel free to call me yeah yeah okay i this was awesome thomas i really appreciate you doing this um 
appreciate the book. I cannot wait to read it multiple times. Mm-hmm. And let's let's get that audio book out I would there. love to do it. Let's I, do it. That's important to me. And uh, Good. I've been waiting for to, to figure it out. I think I've seen people talk about how you can hire some voice, someone else to do Don't it. Don't do that. Do it. I Don't think, do that. Do it I yourself. Think it's absolutely. That's what I want to do it myself. Do it yourself. you got a great voice. Your book. You know how to read it. You know what to enunciate, how to mm-hmm. enunciate, when to put the love into this and the hate into that, whatever it is. I, I think you're You right. know how to do it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Let's get the heck out of here. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.